welcome back. This is episode two of a new podcast by Tyler Dana and this guy edits. Did I get your name Dana. right? Nope. Dana. Completely wrong. But keep listening and maybe he'll get it right. So um, today we're going to do another episode. We're going to visit one scene. We're going to look at it together. You have the option to see it online as well. We'll include the link. And if you can, we're going to be really descriptive about what we're talking about and why this scene is important when it comes to editing. At least we feel it could be something that um, there's something to be learned from and applied to for our own storytelling. It was my turn and I picked 12 Years a Slave. And Tyler, you were a little hesitant to do that early in the podcast. Why? I'm so cutting this out. Um, I was going to ask why you chose a for our second episode of the editing podcast why you chose a scene with no editing yes because um i'm working on an episode right now on the channel uh with steve halfish who's the author of the art of the cut and he interviewed the editor of 12 years a slave joe walker and so i watched that scene for a specific moment that i want to explore in the episode and i noticed something about this warner which i think is so far undiscovered or undiscussed. Uh, I did a little search around and I couldn't find much about that scene. Um, so I wanted to have you take a look at it. I haven't told you what I noticed and wanted to see if there's something that you notice. So should we take a look? Yeah. One, one thing we should clarify with this scene is that it is not the whole scene. We usually cover the whole scene, but on this one, we're just coming in at the beginning of what I believe is a shot that does not cut the entire time. Right, right, right. And it is that scene where uh, Lupita Nwango and her na character name is Patsy. She's getting wept first by Solomon, the uh, main character of the film, and then he doesn't do a Good enough job so then the master steps in michael fassbender and he takes over okay. let's check it out i'm gonna hit play in three two one boom all right so wipes in <laughs> yes so it's in the middle of the scene fassbender is grabbing the uh gun and he's pointing it to solomon and says you better do a better job or um I'm, I'm gonna shoot you in the face. Uh, yeah, he's unhappy. He's already been talked into performing the punishment, but now he's not performing, not putting his heart into it. Exactly, the apparently. whipping is not strong enough, which makes sense because he's trying to protect his uh, compadre well, here. I don't think it takes a lot of story setup to not want to whip a human being, but. So he keeps on whipping her uh, several times, and it looks like it would hurt a lot, but uh, the master is still not quite happy. Yeah, and this is horrifying. I'm assuming also this is all, like the whip is completely digital. Um, there may be holding like a handle or something, but I can't imagine, especially with the way this is done, that... Uh, Yeah, I, th I think so. I think there is, is some, some, definitely some enhancement going on digitally. And 
So then Fassbender takes over. He rips the whip away from Solomon, and now he starts hitting. And now this is what I'm talking about. Look at the shot as we get closer and closer to Fassbender's face. Is there something you notice? I think it's going to come uh, back in just a moment. And God, I can't even look at this. Yeah, right here. With every whip. His face is tensing. Like there, is there a cut with every whip? I think there's a cut on every whip. I think there's a wow. cut. It's an invisible wow. cut. And I definitely think it's digitally um, enhanced in the way. Because if you look at the mm -hmm. background, the background is not changing at all. But his face whips forward and forward and forward with every whip. Okay. And maybe so we'll just play that back one more time. Yeah, because I think the rest of it's just this profile close-up of him kind of the whole time. Yeah, and I looked and, at it, and like as I was cutting, I'm like, something is really bizarre about how his face just sort of snaps forward. Yeah, it was a little bizarre, like forward meaning towards the camera. Towards the camera. Um, okay, so let's go to 145 here. And we're at 145, and I'm going full screen so you can see it a little closer. And yeah, as it's getting closer, yeah, if you pay attention to the background, I mean, I'm assuming it's just, you know, like that technique you mention a lot in fight scenes of if you just take a couple, and we have a whole video on it, but overlap editing, how if you just take a couple frames out, it adds to the impact of it. I think so. Um, and I guess that's happening, but the impact's just on, on his face. So, wow, for a one that's like a pretty aggressive move to enhance the impact that works terribly well because yeah. all you're thinking about through that whole scene also, the last thing I'm thinking about, and this is kind of an interesting thing too in terms of editing, not a lot of editing say in this, but... I'm thinking not about his face at all. Entire, my mind is entirely occupied in imagining what's happening to her back because we've seen an indication of it with what Solomon was doing and now we're seeing someone who's just putting all of their effort and with every hit, I'm not... The image I'm seeing in my mind, almost in my eyes, is her back and what it probably looks like now. And that's kind right. of what I'm thinking about through the entire rest of this scene and it's played really well too towards the end where you can even see like Fassbender stares at her back right before he walks off camera kind of like taking in the damage himself so it's weird how it's all built around the thing we're not seeing um yep. in a horrifying way so there's so much stuff going on here so first of all you just talked about it it's like very cinematic in the way that the the violence is off screen and on his face uh, that's number one. Number two is it's a oneer, but it really isn't. And it's really interesting because I'm cutting this episode now, and Walker, the editor, talks about the truth in not cutting. And the, basically, what he's saying: whenever you cut, you're lying. And whenever you can hold a moment just the way it was performed and shot, um, it feels way more authentic. It feels like the audience is not being cheated. They they get to decide whether they believe this or not. It's not being manipulated through the editing. Yet, when we look at it closer, um, it seems to me as if it is actually a cut. Um, it is being enhanced. I think the way that they did it is that the background, they just kept rolling and they changed um, the, 
the sort of the closer part of the shot. And they just moved mm -hmm. it up, as you said, a couple of frames um, and yeah. hiding this. And I was doing some reading on this and I did come across uh, the interview where Walker talks about that he, he's working, I think it was the first time, with a new assistant who was very strong with Nuke, which is, mm. I guess, an, an effects software, do a lot of graphic effects. And mm -hmm. I have a feeling that maybe that's what they used to just make the shot even more impactful and just bringing out this performance and this violence even more. So Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And it's amazing they took it to that level to hide the jump cut that you noticed yep. because they very easily could have just taken the two frames out and had it be a little bit of a broken cut. And I don't think it would matter. I mean, this is much more subliminal, but I imagine if there were... I guess maybe it is a strong enough moment that it would take you out of it, perhaps. But to take that technology into it, I, I imagine there's a version of it that's pretty effective, maybe not as effective as this, where you just take a couple frames out. And honestly, you couldn't really prove to me that that didn't happen, I guess. We would have to talk to them and, and find out. Because when you just take out two frames, it could be a very... It's true. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it on a frame-by-frame -frame basis. And mm -hmm. the jump is so rapid um, mm -hmm. compared to all the previous frames that it I mean to me it, it seems like clearly that's what's going on but maybe you as a viewer take a look and tell me tell me differently tell me that no this is actually the way that it was shot it just feels yeah, no. um, yeah. so impactful but also what it could be also it potentially could be like a digital push-in too just very slightly that they then back out of yeah that's true. Um, you know, and that would account for the seamlessness because his face is literally, the camera is moving in, but his face is getting closer, but maybe they kind of enhanced it by pushing in and then and then backing out. But I don't way, think they're whether, backing out. I don't think they're backing out. Because no, no, I mean backing continuous. out afterwards. Like yeah. if they did push in at some oh, point. Oh, I see, like at the end of this out. whole moment. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, either way, whether we know exactly what it is, the thing to pay attention to is someone who's studying filmmaking is the effect of it and we may be completely wrong but there's maybe they did nothing but there is definitely something to be said about the impact of cutting a couple frames out on impact or digitally pushing in or whatever it might be that you can put in your toolbox to exploit i just love the idea that there's that um cgi is being used for storytelling in a way mm. that it's not about the spectacle it's not about the oh look how amazing these effects are it's really yeah. invisible, and there are some filmmakers that do that heavily. I mean, David Fincher, Robert Zemeckis, um, even like Birdman, which is a different editor, mm -hmm. um, just using editing sort of in an invisible way. It really is used to make the storytelling feel even more pure and authentic in a way. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Birdman, because we're talking about what the editor had to say about working with Wonners and the impact of that. Obviously, this isn't a case of Steve McQueen just shooting coverage. <laughs> like, this is just how I'm going to cover every scene. Oh, I guess it worked as a Wonner. Like, this is a clearly, this was clearly meant to be a Wonner. And again, beginning filmmakers, if you're feeling like you want to take on a shot like this, shoot the coverage. I promise you they have coverage for this. In yes, terms of inserts or for sure. Solomon's reaction. Because you even just want those, because there's, you know, again, we're seeing the violence on the villain's face, feeling the 
the impact of it. And I guess the scene was working strong enough you could do that, where it almost seems like every instinct would be to get a close-up of Solomon taking this in, right? Because that's where the real pain and, and horror is going to be. Yeah. So I'm willing to bet that shot exists somewhere, you know, because you never know how things are going to work. But the other thing about this movie is I remember from this film, this is one of my favorite films, that it's full of amazing wonders like that. But they're, like Sven's saying about the effects, they're incredibly subtle. And the point of these wonders isn't, oh, look at what a great wonder I did. It's just to tell the story well. And it's almost like you don't notice them. And it's kind of funny because when Birdman came out a year after this, which is obviously an incredible accomplishment in and of itself, although they're not, not the first movie to be told entirely in one shot, you're very kind of aware at some point. Although the guy I saw it with had no idea it was all one shot. <laughs> but at some point as a filmmaker, where this is a movie you have to pay a little more attention to recognize the wonders, which I kind of feel like is a much rarer and, and bigger feat to accomplish. This kind of leans closer to The Revenant, maybe, in the sense of we're doing compilations of, of wonders to tell the story. Right. Right, or some of the stuff P.T. Anderson kind of messes with now and then. Um, like in The Master, there's like that incredible uh, wonder of him having the breakdown in the department store and stuff like that, um, which I think is kind of like a bigger, a harder thing to pull off. Or like the opening shot, at, like everyone usually knows the Scorsese tracking shots, but there's one in Boardwalk Empire in the pilot I didn't even notice that's like going through all of... Uh, Atlantic City? Yeah, Atlantic City, like just walking through all these different venues and out on the pier. And, uh, and I didn't even know until I saw the commentary. But anyways, yeah, so en enough on that point. But Cool, cool. Well, I want to just mention that uh, Steve McQueen and Joe Walker have a history of doing uh, uninterrupted takes. Yeah. Um, but they don't do it isolated from... Uh, what's around it. So uh, Joe Walker calls it landscaping. So for example, mm -hmm. a one-eye like this, he would set up with uh, all the cuts before and after if something is really, really long. For example, a shot where Solomon is hanging by the tree. That's a 90-minute second shot of him just hanging off a tree, almost being strangled, just like tiptoeing around. And that doesn't work if the previous scene is slow and it's not not the pacing is just in that same has the same energy so he landscapes it in a way that everything that happened before that is compressed in time and everything that happens after that even like if he gets cut off from the tree and he, he falls he cuts away mm -hmm. even before he lands to a new scene just compressing time again so that the dynamic range of something like this really really makes an impact and means something Yeah, and I think that's a good note for beginning filmmakers too, the idea of working when you're doing one shots. It's important at that point. It's not You're not just going to wander out there and nail it. It takes like a lot of work. And working with the editor in advance of it, and I don't know what they're... I mean, obviously they have a relationship, but I don't know if it's similar to what would happen on Birdman. Birdman, as we've talked about before, was edited through the entire process. So, of course, the whole movie is one amazing shot, but they would shoot rehearsals of those different sections that they would blend together and hand it to editors that would then edit it in terms of pacing, all that different stuff you need to pay attention to as an editor to see if it's working, and then kind of adjust the performance, adjust the script, adjust the timing within that. So it wasn't, you know, they didn't just walk out and shoot that movie and be like, oh, good thing it worked. They were paying attention to the 
more subliminal effects of editing through the whole thing in terms of like, how long do we want to be on this character? Like there's so much in this shot that's timed out so perfectly, it's hard to imagine that Joe Walker didn't get his hands on some footage at some point right. and mess around with it. And they, they test different versions. They revise the edit and they put it in front of an audience and they see how long can they hold this before, before it doesn't work anymore. And oh, so, on the Wonders? Yeah. Um, so, for example, they did a movie together called Hunger, and there's a, mm -hmm. there's a sequence in there where there's an 18-minute conversation. And the movie up to that point is basically silent. And then you have that. And they really, the, they spend a lot of time pacing this out so that that conversation really um, works for the audience. And when do they do these tests? They do it... In the editing. In the editing, or they're doing it with dailies, or...? No, they cut the scene, and they try different things, and they, they see how long they can sustain it. I see. Cause how, I would, how long I just... do you let a guy hang from a tree? Like, that's something you really need to, to play yeah. with. And um, they, they do a version, and if they make it 60 seconds as opposed to 90 seconds, it has an impact on the entire movie. At least that's their theory. So they'll try it out, and... Once they feel comfortable that it works, then they decide on how long can they really sustain it. And I guess that's what they have the coverage for? Because with a scene yes. like this, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of ways out of it. But I guess if they have a close-up of him or they, you know, inserts of... As far as I know, Steve McQueen shoots coverage consistently on all the scenes. And Joe Walker says, just because it's shot doesn't mean that we need to use it in the edit. Right, yeah. Again, beginning filmmakers <laughs> that decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to do a Birdman. <laughs> Set yourself up with a lot of safety nets. It's, it's such an important part of stuff like this working. Well, good. I think that's sort of what I wanted to point out with that scene. Um, let us know if you enjoyed this. Let us know if this makes sense to you listening as a podcast, even if you don't see the scene. That's sort of what we're trying to work on in the next couple of podcasts to really figure out a way to make these episodes stand out, but also give you the opportunity to, to figure it out for yourself. Take a look at the scene and, and see if it, uh, if it adds uh, to your storytelling. Yeah, and if you'd like to interact with us about it and get some feedback, you can do that where, Sven? That's right. Uh, yeah, we're going to post these on Patreon of This Guy Edits. So if you go on patreon.com and you search for This Guy Edits, um, you will we'll find our uh, platform there or our, our homepage and um, these posts will be available public. You don't have to sign up and uh, you can check out then the video there as well. We'll leave a link there as well. We should yeah. give a shout out to our producer for this podcast. We're, like I said, we're on episode two. This is something that we're building and trying out. And we want to thank Sean McCow for uh, stepping up and helping us. He has a lot of experience with podcasts. And so he makes sure that on the technical and producing side, uh, we're, we're getting a, a head start. So thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. I don't think there's any clip that's lended itself more to discussion than our conversation about this, because as we said, there's a lot of things you might know that we don't. So hop on that board and maybe you discovered something we didn't about the trick behind those what we think might be jump cuts. Exactly. We're going to run out of scenes here eventually, so feel free to suggest scenes and stuff that you notice. We'll take a look at it and talk about it. Yeah, we have, we have two in the bank, so... <laughs> Very cool. Thanks so much for listening, uh, and we'll be back on the next podcast with Tyler Dana.
and Sven Papa. Okay, not bad, not bad, huh? Cool, that felt good, yeah. Turning off. Do we need to pick anything up? Yeah, I felt good about the intro. I don't know, I don't even remember. <laughs>